The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye welcome to poor ass podcast the show that talks about tough shit on a budget with your host veronica porus Welcome to the podcast, Teresa. Thank you, Veronica. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I am the host of the Poor Ass Podcast. Um, The tagline is, can we live abundantly while on a budget? Not all budgets are financial. And I recently got diagnosed with um, autism spectrum disorder and July of this year, July 2022, at the age of 43. And the reason why I wanted to do this episode is like the last job that I had let me go as they didn't want to um, continue with the accommodations that they've provided to me. Um, they, they said that it was performance-based and my perspective is that I did the best that I could in the situation that I was in. I was, the manager that I had was uh, horrible and really lacked any kind of professional skill set on being a manager, having the role as a manager and not knowing how to, how to work with employees who are on the spectrum. And it was a really difficult and challenging working with her. It was really toxic and abusive. Um, and I felt that I wasn't getting support. And I got to talk to other managers who who shared that this particular manager um, is horrible too, Hor- has a history of horrible behavior. And nothing was done about it. So I know it wasn't my fault, but at the time, I, I thought it was. Um, I felt uh, that her her attitude about my performance was real. Like I, like when she would say like I'm underperforming, um, she would say things like I've never seen you, I've never seen anyone so slow do this job, and I really believed it and I took it as truth. And um, with the help of my brother, 
and the tips that he has given given me, I, I reached out to other managers and told them what was going on, and and they gave me a a a, a perspective that was different. That like um, it's not you. This person has been a problem for for years, and nothing was done about it. I'm like, oh, oh. But it was also this job that, I, for a while, I myself suspected that I may have been on on the spectrum. And due to the resources that I had at the time, I was able to get a diagnosis. And getting a diagnosis isn't cheap; is very expensive. It runs in the thousands of dollars. But I was able, with with savings and insurance, I was able to um, get evaluated. Um, long story short. Uh, it was identified that I was on on the spectrum, and according to the professional way on how they evaluate autism, what my my evaluator told me that there's levels, and um, that's what really confused me because before I got diagnosed, and I don't know Teresa if you went through the same thing, like I I had a I was shown or it's been communicated that. If you had autism, you 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 were like non nonverbal and and needed additional help, you know, like a caretaker. Like that's what I thought autism was, and it confused me. Like, how can I be on the spectrum? Like, I I could have a job. I've I've lived on my own. I have my own bank account. Um, I have my own sense sense of agency. Like how. How can I possibly be on the spectrum? And I discovered, like, yeah, it's a it's a spectrum. And um, so, in getting the diagnosis, it was just like a huge uh, shock to me. That, um, but it also answered a lot of the questions that I was experiencing pre-diagnosis, like my. Um, you know, sometimes I did have difficulty at work. Uh, I love jobs that are repetitive and not a lot of change. And this is what made this job, the last job that I had, really difficult because my manager was always changing the process. Even though I was following the steps exactly, she would change it. And personally for me, I think it was it was that, um, I don't know, I think she was like trying to get rid of me by always changing it, but then telling me that I'm not following directions. Does that make sense? Yes, actually it does. (laughs) So it was constant professional gaslighting and, um, and her being supported and enabled by her, her upper, upper, upper managers. So that's what was made the job. So, so hard. Um, and so, you know, staying, staying organized, sequencing information. This is the, the the executive functioning type, and I did have those those challenges at the last job that I had, and the accommodations that were recommended by my evaluator evaluator did help me at this job, and I felt I I mean I even had to create my own. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but. Just like how I survived that toxic work, like uh, you know, my my manager would say something that I'm underperforming. I'm performing at thirty percent, and I knew she was lying. 
So I created my own performance dashboard to track my own progress. So I would get, I was getting a completely different result than she was. And she was a type of person like you can't prove her wrong, like whatever she says like goes. So instead of telling her that she's wrong about my performance, I would just say things like, oh, that's interesting how you said 30% because my performance dashboard says 78%. So how did you get your, your percentage? And she was never really able to answer that question like, like f- fully. She would dance around it or kind of pedal, pedal around it, give a story. And I would let her. I mean, it's like, you know, she's going to tell this story. But um, it really helped me stay sane of just asking her, like, oh, how did you come up with that? Because I could tell her how I came up with my 70% because of the methodology that I created on, in creating that performance dashboard. But she was never able to explain her meth- methodology on how she came up with 30%. Does that make sense? Yes. So I wanted to know... Um, and we'll we'll go we'll go back and forth on our our experiences, but that's how I found out I was on the spectrum. It wasn't it was like through a traumatic workplace, horrible. I'm still recovering from from it. I have a new job now. I have a new job now. You know, awesome, fa- fantastic. But one of the one of the you know the experience of autism is the ability or the challenge in accepting when change happens. I might, I don't know if I've had meltdowns or if I had meltdowns in the past, I, I think I probably have, would heavily mask my meltdown. I, I don't know if that's possible because I know in talking to other autistic people, like having meltdowns is you just can't help it. You can't, you can't control it. And I know for me, it's like, in my own experience, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, like that, that particular job that I had, it was uh, in my own experience of meltdowns or, uh, or what meltdowns, uh, in my own experience of meltdowns, how meltdowns manifest in my body, it's very much internal. Like I, I, I don't, I don't do the like the yelling and and this and the screaming, but I my meltdowns like more I Im- implode like internal. It's like a I feel like it's an internal meltdown rather than it's like an outburst like meltdown. Like to me in my body, and I'm just speaking from my own experience. Meltdowns for me are very like internal. Like, like I'm, I'm thinking back of like, did I ever control them? I think, you know, being, doing heavily masking for 43 years, I probably have done my darnest to really mask meltdowns as much as, as possible. So, you know, heavily masking for 43 years, uh, it's it's like I'll explode inside, and just learning that I have autism now, uh, that's not good for my body. Or maybe I do need to like 
find a safe place to have a have a meltdown to not scare others. But I don't know. Maybe that's like bad. Like too. I'm just trying to find a way to like what are what are healthier ways to emotionally regulate. So since I got let go from that job, and since I found out I got autism. It, it just has propelled me in this path of I I have found a community of others. I've joined some online Facebook groups, and I'm not alone. There's so many working adult autism people with who are having um, a hard time at at work. So I'm not alone, and it's like oh my god, and some of the stories are really heartbreaking, and and it makes me angry. And I want, like, I wanted to know, like, in your autism journey, like, what, what, like, what was it like before diagnosis, and what led you to get a diagnosis, and what's it like after? Well, this is something that um, I've never really given a whole lot of thought to, mm-hmm. but. Now that you say it, and I think about it, there has been a lot of episodes where I have, quote-unquote, melted down. Uh, I do the yelling and screaming thing because, you know, that's what I was taught to do. You know, we yell and we scream in my family. That Mm. is how we communicate. And it's not healthy. Yeah, I know that. And Mm. more likely than not, they know that. And... The truth is, I've always had that outlet, so I never really ascribed it, as it were, to autism specifically. Mm. Uh, When I was diagnosed at 38, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. This Mm. was back before they had the spectrum. And now that they do have the spectrum, and I personally don't think it makes it a whole lot more clear, but... They have it, and I'm like, okay, it works for them. Uh, What works for me is I recognize now that I have this. I recognize now that this is who I am. And before, you know, it was just ascribed to, you know, I am a difficult person. I am a bright but difficult person who has difficulty with certain things. And mostly difficulty with people. Mm-hmm. That was my biggest thing, is that I had a lot of difficulty with people. Especially people that I perceived to be stupid, which was a great many people. Because, you know, they weren't working. I actually had a co-worker at the job where I was diagnosed who actually refused to do part of his job and would bring it to me to do. And when I was in the middle of something, this this was always the kicker. I was always in the middle of something when he brought this to me. And because I didn't drop what I was doing so that I could do part of his job, he got angry. And because he outranked me, quote unquote, outranked me, I was a civil servant at that time. I was a grade 11. He was a grade 13. And, yeah, so, you know, it was one of those things. And because 
I wouldn't drop what I was doing to do his job, to do this part of his job. You know, I got labeled as a difficult person. And that's, you know, and I never connected that dot until after I was diagnosed and after I left that job. I ended up leaving that job also because it was toxic. And I have come to the conclusion that when the universe is telling you to get out of something and you don't get out of it, the universe finds a way to kick you out. Yeah, wait, that that has to that touches on change on yeah because i don't leave toxic i don't leave toxic situations like part of that like i i grew up in an alcoholic home um and it's like uh, as toxic as that died out i don't i didn't know any better so you so you stay but with the autism it's like uh uh, I, I I couldn't leave. I was scared. I was scared to leave uh, yeah. my my family, and uh, so is is so. It just makes it harder. Like like if I leave this dynamic to me, um, just reflecting back, you know, probably having autism this entire time, but me not knowing it, like oh that it was just so. It's it's so hard to leave a toxic because because it's like leaving, leaving meant like to me de- death because it's like I don't know I I couldn't even have the foresight to see if there was any better or have that faith in me like things are going to work out or you're going to be okay like I didn't have that thought process it's like I no change because. Yeah. Because the change was scary. So how how did you navigate that? Well, I never really saw a change as scary. Even though I did understand the uncertainty of it all. But the good news is that in my family unit, I was taught self-reliance very early. And I was taught independence very early. So I knew that I could land on my feet somehow. I didn't know exactly how it was going to work out, but I do know. And plus I had support from other people. I had found some other support groups from some other people. And I was working through, you know, figuring out how to land on my feet, how to do things differently, how to be different in the world, as it were. And I was, you know, trying to learn new coping skills. And, you know, part of those new coping skills are, you know, looking at an environment and saying, you know, this isn't going to work. It doesn't matter how hard I work at it. This is not going to work because the people that I am working with do not want to do the work or they do not want to participate in the work that will make it workable. And, you know, one of those realizations is that no matter how hard you try to control yourself and other people, the only person you can control is yourself. You can't control other people. Other people are going to do what they do because they are who they are. Ultimately, it's not because of me. They will do 
what they do because they have some idea in their head about where it is that they should be going, just like I have some idea in my head where it is that I should be going. And sometimes they're not just going to line up, you know. It's like you come to the realization that there's everything that you know and there's everything that is happening in front of you, and when the two don't line up, you have to make a choice. And sometimes that choice is very much a leap of faith. That you have to have faith in yourself and you have to take that leap. And sometimes that leap is like jumping over a mud puddle. And sometimes that leap is like jumping off of the planet. And like I said, sometimes you just have to make the choice. And it gets easier. It doesn't actually stop being hard. You just get accustomed to it being hard. So it becomes easier, I think, from my experience that the more you are presented with these choices and the more that you can see a path through these choices, it becomes easier to deal with. It's hard when you can't see a way through. And, of course, when all you know is stay and all you know is fear, it's very hard to see a way through. But... When you develop the experience of, oh, yeah, this happened before. I can deal with this. I got through it. Oh, yeah, this happened before. I can deal with this. I got through it. And I tried this and it didn't work, so maybe I'll try something else. Yeah, and it's actually been very comforting in some ways because I have been able to say to myself, I can do this. I can do this. I have the intellect. I have the experience. I can do this. And having been through it and having changed jobs and having succeeded at getting jobs, it's is actually getting much easier. And you see things differently based on that experience. You can look at it and know what dysfunction looks like. It's not direct. They don't come out and say, you know, you're performing badly. They use words like, that we're having issue. We are having issues, you know, and they don't bother to say what those issues are. A lot of those issues today, I find are in terms of communication. It turns out that I have one boss who is very, very communicative, just not with the coworkers that he's at. He's very, very communicative with other managers in other parts of the company in other states, which is great, except I'm not there. I'm here in upstate New York. I'm not in Texas. I'm not in India. You know, so and then I got another manager who just hates conflict. And it's all that's all he does. The most the most he wants to do is talk about the San Francisco 49ers, which is great for people who are football fans and who are San Francisco 49ers fans. I'm not. So 
I don't necessarily care, and it really has nothing to do with my job. So there are times when I'm just kind of left to my own devices, and I got assigned a new project in a new project at work, and frankly, I've come to the conclusion that I've like had it up to here with this project, want nothing more to do with this project, sick of this project, tired of this project, want this project to go away. And, but we've got other projects coming into the office and I am assigned to this project. And so this is the reality that I have to face and deal with. And of course, I don't want to, especially because the woman who's training me is very unhappy with the fact that I work very differently than she does. I'm very detail oriented. She's not so much. She thinks you should be able to just look at the first page of something and make that determination. And I'm like, well, okay. If you can do that, that's great. Some of us need more information. And so, yes, I will go through some documents page by page to find out what's going on, especially if I know she's not at her desk. And then, you know, then that way I don't have to listen to her. So I try to be mindful Mindful of myself and mindful of the people around me and especially mindful of the people who are not around me. You know, I don't want to get into a shouting mess because, frankly, I'm not willing to die on this hill. At the end of the day, this is not my life. This is my job. This is how I pay my bills. And, you know, to an extent, I'm willing to, you know, overlook some things. But there are other things that I am not willing to overlook. And I happen to get raised with an excellent work ethic. So I'm very grateful for that. And I realize that I can have that and still be able to give other people to an extent what they want. You know, look at a look at the first page of a document and say, okay, this is what it is. And of course I could yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult for me, especially when I know that there are 28 pages in the document and I don't know what's on those other 27 pages. Curiosity killed the cat and maybe a few others, too. But the thing is, is that I can monitor, you know, first myself, check with myself, feel, check where I am, and then... You know, just kind of you know, take a look around me and figure out, you know, who's who and who's watching. Because, you know, there are a lot of people, they love to mind other people's business. That's another thing that just really gets me. You know, I need to know who's taking what medication at what time. I really need this information. Honest to God, I need this information. Yeah, it's it. that's none of their business. Oh, my God. And then there's like, there's this one woman... She's like, I got to go pee. I'm like, yeah, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what, what led, <laughs> what led you to get a diagnosis? Well, like I said, I was having that difficulty at that one job where I was the grade 11 and I was having a really, really hard time. And so I went to a friend of mine who happened to be in the union 
and I was having difficulty. I was really having a lot of difficulty mm-hmm. with the management. And they were, everybody was talking, but nobody was talking to me, you know, back to the rumor mill, back to the gossip mongering. And I just hated it. Mm. And so that person put me in touch with another person who talked to me and said, it sounds like maybe you're autistic. Have you ever thought about getting diagnosed? I'm like, no. Why would I do that? You know, one of those things that was just never on my radar. Yeah. Maybe you should be diagnosed. I'm like, well, it would be a piece of information. It couldn't hurt. You know, I had been in therapy on and off for years anyway. I figured, you know, one more diagnosis, what's it going to hurt? Just stick it in the bag if it doesn't help. Yeah. You know, stick it in the bag with everything else. And so I went and I got diagnosed and things started to make a little more sense. Mm. You know, though I had this preconception in my head about what it was like to be autistic. I had it in my head that they were the people who, you know, wore helmets and banged their head against the wall and wore straight jackets and moaned a lot. And yeah, I, I just really didn't quite know what to do with that. Yeah. But I did come to the conclusion that I understood more about why autistic people banged their heads against the wall. Mm-hmm. I actually, I actually do say this to myself. I now understand why autistic people bang their heads against the wall. It <laughs> explains the headache when they have to deal with non-autistic people. <laughs> You know, it's just so much easier to explain the headache. Yeah, you would be you would be banging your head on against the wall too, out of the fr- frustration. Like I get. Yeah, absolutely. It is very frustrating. It is. It's very frustrating because it's like a friend of mine asked me once, "What is it like to be autistic?" Mm-hmm. And at the time, I happened to be working at. Um, of subsidiary of ShopVac. That was fun. And <laughs> we would have these things called batch folders when they would have, you know, diagrams and blueprints and bills of material and stuff like that in there. And I would say, well, being autistic is like having blueprints in your head about how the world is supposed to work. And you're given a bill of materials that goes with the blueprints about how the world is supposed to work. And you look at them and you look at the blueprints and you look at the world and then you look at the blueprints and you look at the world again and the two don't match up. Yeah. The two, just the two do not match up. The blueprints that are in my head do not match the world that the blueprints say the world is supposed to look like. And you're the crazy one. And I'm the crazy one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the crazy one because I'm the one whose blueprints don't match the world. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? So... I, I take things literally. Do you take things literally? Very much so. I Not only do I take things literally, I write them down. Yeah, because, you know, people, they like to ask me, you know, they, they love to do the gaslighting thing. They love to, they love to say, I didn't say that. I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Here's when you told me and I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Here's when you said it. How, and how, then all of a sudden they're documented and they're like, yeah. okay, what do I do now? 
<laughs> and then they just go back to the denial. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You wrote it down wrong. I had to have written it down wrong. I won't let go of that. Like, I'm like a dog to a bone when it comes yeah. to, like, the gaslight, the gaslighting. And you can't, I mean, the type of manager that, that I had in my last job, I'll, I'll hand it to her. Really, really clever, really knew how to spin a narrative. And, you know, it doesn't help when uh, enabling upper management enables bad managers too that doesn't that doesn't help the situation either because it's like the truth they told like i was put on a development improvement plan i was put on a development improvement plan and i'm thinking like okay um i guess you want to help me and you know i 20 over like 20 years in accounting not once have I ever been on a development improvement plan, but suddenly in 2022, I get my first development improvement plan. And even though the words that they were saying, like we're like we want you, we want you to improve. We're going to do this development improvement plan. Like my when the words enter my head. And uh, and it said and it, the words say like we want you to improve, but the energy was anything but we want you to improve. So that was really confusing me. And I have a friend in recovery who um, we were both in the same field finance, but I was always like a staffer and he was like a VP. And so I told him. I told him what was going on and I'm crying and I, I told him like, yeah, I'm on this development improvement plan. And basically what he was saying, like, Oh, you're basically on the way out. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, if you're ever on a, de- he, cause like, I, he's like, I did them. I've done development. I put people on development improvement plans. Cause he, he's a VP. He's a hiring manager. He's a VP. He's done that. He's like, yeah, I've done them. If you're ever on a development improvement plan, you're basically out the door. I'm like, what? I'm like, Look, like Veronica, they companies don't want to get sued. They want they don't want to get sued over wrongful termination. So they do development improvement plans so they don't want to get sued so they could show like, "Oh, we tried. We tried improving Veronica and she like she didn't improve." That's how they get rid of you. They just need to show like he's he's like, "You're basically out the door. You're not going to have a job in like 3 months. They need to prove like fire fireability." So I'm like, "What do I do?" So my friend like really helped like coached me and every fiber in my being, I really like, I really wanted to fight, like fight them on this. Like I shouldn't be on a development improvement plan, but basically he was saying like, once you're on a development improvement plan, you're on the way out. You just have to stay calm, stay calm. It's going to be bullshit. They're going to do some bullshit. And it's going to feel like bullshit. The whole thing is bullshit. But you're basically on the way out. And so I, during the, during, during the month that I was on this development improvement plan, it was, I, I was doing my job, but not doing my job. It was basically like, and my brother was help coaching me through this um, dynamic as well. And giving me tips like you don't want to react if she if she if she tries to bait you 
Um, Because that whole development improvement plan was like the moment Veronica snaps, like, oh, we got her. Like, oh, she's crazy. She's unstable. Like, yeah, we, we we were good to get rid of her. But I wasn't. If I didn't have those those like those friends to lean on to coach the navigation of like how should I respond because it was like I, I like on the verge of 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 meltdown and reactionary I, it was like insane it it was just really crazy making and um you know going back to what you're saying like these people are idiots like that what was going on in my head like. These people are idiots. Like, I was asking for help. I did my job. I would ask questions, even though I would a- sometimes I would ask the same questions. That's just how I learn. But my manager thought if I ask the same question, it means I'm not, re- I'm not learning. It's like, no, that's, that's how I learn. She just didn't understand how to... Ha- she just didn't understand and didn't have the skill set to work with autistic employees. What works for us, what doesn't. Even though I gave them accommodations... Um, they took them away. I only had them for two weeks. So I, w- you know, my friends were right. You know, that development improvement plan was to get, to get rid of me because they were, they showed, they said that, oh, we're not seeing improvement, but because I created my own performance dashboard, um, you know, yeah, they're going to get rid of me. There's nothing I could do, but I did state my, my truth in my last, my last meeting with them. Oh, my manager wasn't there. Um, my manager wasn't in the Zoom room. I've never met this woman in my life. Um, it was an online job. Never met this woman except online. And when I was let go, um, I went into my weekly one-on-ones. And throughout this development plan, I would have weekly um, recorded one-on-ones. And when I went into my meeting as normal, my manager wasn't there. It was just her manager and HR letting me know that I'm being let go. They already had their termination letter already set, ready to go. Um, we went through it. Um, they they agreed to pay me till August. I was let go July in July, July 27th. But they were going. They were still going to keep me on the payroll to to August 15th. So I got a little bit of severance, and they were um, agree like going to continue my coverage until the end of August. That's unheard of. I don't know why they made those decisions. Maybe it was just how I behaved during during that time, and I don't know. Maybe they saw 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 the shenanigans that my manager was was doing, but instead of getting rid of the manager. They got rid of me, even though they know. I know because I I track did I oh uh, I I also tracked down past employees that were under her. I tracked them down on LinkedIn and got their story, and they corro- corroborated my story. Like the, I told them, like this is what's going on with me. And they're like, yeah, that's what happened to us. This is why that's why we left. Like oh, and and they told the past employees did tell HR about their experience. So when I told them my experience I'm having with this manager, I, I, I presented them a timeline, screenshots. Like, I, I showed them the receipts, like all the evidence, and they did nothing. They treated it as if it was the first time they've ever heard of this story. 
Well, of course, you were on a development improvement plan. You were a piece of film that needed to be stuck in some chemicals and then hung out to dry. And that's what I think of when I hear a development improvement plan. And I'm thinking, is that is that what this is? There was nothing development yeah. improvement about it. And yeah. Um, yeah, they're not. They're. I've learned that you know, and through my friend who's a retired finance VP professional who, who, who he himself has implemented development improvement plans, gave me intel saying like, Veronica, they're meant to get rid of employees. They're not, they're not meant to improve you. If you're ever, and the advice that he gave me, like if you're ever on a development improvement plan, you're basically out the door and you have like three months. I'm like, okay, good to know. <laughs> good, yeah. good to know. Yeah. So it's another form of gaslighting, basically. Mm. Yeah. And what a surprise that, you know, because everybody has this preconceived, even we had this preconceived notion about what it meant to be autistic, Yeah. where you're in a room, you're banging your head against the wall, you're nonverbal, you're not communicative, you are not functional. And then all of a sudden they see you functioning and once again... There's what you know and there's what you're presented with and the two don't line up. And then you have to make a choice. And, you know, they have to make their own choices, too. And unfortunately, sometimes the choices that are made are not great choices. You know, sometimes we just make lousy ass choices. And. That's just part of the experience. There's not a whole lot that can be done about that. What we can do, what I can do, is that I can take the experience that I had from other places and present it and say, you know, this is what I can do now. This is what I know now. I did not know that then. I know it now. So I can try to do better now. You know, I'm not a great person for asking for help because, like I said earlier, we were taught to be resilient and self-reliant and independent and all that stuff. We were never great at asking for help. So, you know, asking questions for me sometimes comes very difficult, especially when I know that I've asked a question before. And, you know... As you get older, you know, I'm 52 years old now. Don't tell my mother I told you that. And sometimes I can attribute these things to, quote unquote, getting older. You know, you know, older people, they become more forgetful, I'm told. And I figure, well, you know, it's like somebody once said, just don't try to change people. Whatever's wrong with them, use it to your best advantage. And there's sometimes there's not a lot that you can do with people, but I have seen that if you treat them like they think they should be treated, and sometimes that's really hard to figure out, 90% of the time they're going to give you what you want. So sometimes it's just a question of, you know, watching them engage with other people and trying to figure out what it is that they're looking for. Because I heard it said once somewhere that you teach people how to treat you. 
I'm like, oh, okay, if that's true, then if I watch the way that other people act around other people, then I'll figure out how it is they want to be treated. And, you know, and then, you know, I can sort of connect the dots that way. It's sometimes a roundabout way to connect the dots, but it does work from time to time. That's what was hard, hard for me in the, uh, cause I, my last manager, I, I just wasn't getting this particular uh, process and um, she started to raise her voice and like yell at me. She's like, how do you not know this? And you could say like just how we were trained was looking back pretty weird because it was getting to the point where because I don't pick up on social cues or when the relationship like changes, I'm like, it just goes over my head. But I was noticing that we, I was, and, and then also talking to my other coworkers, they were getting trained on aspects that I have yet to get trained on. Like, and which is part of my job. Like there was a t- particular job function that event that when we first started, we didn't get training yet. We didn't get, but eventually we were supposed to get training. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, and then I find out that my coworkers got the training and I didn't get the training. And the reason was because I wasn't, I wasn't ready. And we're already, uh, like I started in October, 2021 and, um, January, I was like, January, I was just, that's, when I really started having trouble. I was having trouble before, but, you know, me, with my coping skills, I'll just power through, you know, power through. And it was getting to a point where my coping skills just weren't working anymore. And so I reached out for help in in February. And that's when my job was cut in half. It wasn't because, like, I wasn't capable. It was like, I need help. And then somehow, from me reaching out for help, turned into this, narrative that she was able to communicate that I I was incapable like that's how I saw it and telling me well you know you're only doing 50% of your job she's telling me like you're only doing 50% of your job like yeah I because I'm asking for help that was like to I knew it was going to be temporary you know it's like that was really really the hard part in like I'm an adult, I'm an employee who is asking for help and um, and out of that help, like I reach out to our diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm asking like, hey, are there, are there other employees who are neurodivergent or are on the spectrum that I could talk to? And there were, and I got to be connected with that. So it's like I'm doing my, like I was doing my part to get help and get an evaluation and ask like there were at that time there were some accommodations and like um, some accommodations that resulted that would help me. But also I was getting bullying behavior from my manager and I didn't feel safe in the same zoom room with her. And I told her and her manager, it's like, I'm not, I, I want my, I want my one-on-ones and my trainings to be recorded. And um, I don't know if they still have those recordings, but some of those recordings was like, you do catch her 
in her attitude. And I would show those clips to the diversity, equity, inclusion officer. I would uh, screenshot Slack messages. It's like, yeah, she's still doing this. And nothing was done. Um, that's what really made the, the autism hard in that I felt like, oh, I don't have support in this job. Even though I've connected with other autistic employees, I got to connect with other autistic neurodivergent employees. And I would you know, inquire, like, is this happening to you? And it wasn't. They were getting support. From what I saw, their managers were supporting them, but my manager wasn't supporting me. And that's what made it that's what made it hard. In terms of the executive, the executive functioning, um, planning, staying organized, sequencing information, self-regulating emo- emotions, like it it made executive functioning hard. I think what helped me, there's a tool called um, Asana that I really liked, and that helped me with this one particular task um, that we were, that I would do on a daily basis to help me keep track. So, um, but at the same time, um, so when you got your, di- when you got your diagnosis at, at 38 and things were, it answered the questions that that you have like what what has happened um since since then in term in terms of of like okay i have i have autism how has it helped you to navigate difficult work work relationships well the first thing that it's helped me with is that it's helped me actually recognize when work relationships are difficult that's the first thing is that I now recognize difficult work relationships for what they are. They are difficult work relationships. I don't have to deal with these people outside of work. That's one of the few, that's one of the things that I get to tell myself. I don't have to deal with X, Y, and Z outside of these four walls. Mm. I get to come in and I get to leave that, you know, that's, and then I get to go when I get to be with the people and I get to go and be with the things that I enjoy doing and I can have that reward at the end of the day. And it's like a delayed gratification thing. Another thing that I remind myself is that, you know, these people, you know, they're trying their best just like I'm trying my best. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Just like they deserve to be treated well. I deserve to be treated well. And I can say that. I can say, you know, you don't have to be this way. You don't have to be cruel. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to yell. You know, I'm right here. I'm not in outer Saskatchewan. I'm not like this other woman at work. I just one of my coworkers, you know, she's always be always yelling, always this. And I'm like. I'm thinking to myself, you know, you should speak up. There might be a couple of people on the other side of the international dateline that didn't quite catch what you just said. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't need this. (laughs) And of course, you know, 
she works like right in the next room and I can hear her from across the office. Yeah. (laughs) Your loud voice. Yeah. Shut up. (laughs) And I can remind myself, you know, I have the right to say these things just like they have the right to not be abused by other people, just like they have the right to not be in abusive situations. So do I. And I have the right to be treated decently, just like they have the right to be treated decently. And I have the right to say that. I forget. Yeah, me too. And I I totally forgot. I do have to remind myself. I have to remind myself. And, you know, one, one time, I think it was like the, I think it was like Thursday of last week, she was asking me how I felt about the new project. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, okay, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. <laughs> because, you know, there, I was at the, you know, sick of this project, tired of this project, done with this project, want nothing more to do with this project, burn this project in effigy. I don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, you can't say that because, mm-hmm. you know, that's mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and so, you know, I told, I was truthful in a, in a way that was diplomatic. I told her I felt more comfortable that day than I did two days ago, that, that previous Tuesday, which is true. I did feel more comfortable. I felt more comfortable on Tuesday than I did on Monday after I had been told that Monday was supposed to be the heaviest day and we could get six or seven hundred files to, to, to work on. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I didn't know that. And by the way, we're supposed to have a hundred of them processed by 9 a.m. I'm like, yeah, thanks for telling me that, too. I'm hearing this on Thursday morning. Thank you very much for letting me know what I needed to know on Monday. And so, you know, it's like information gets dropped in drips and drabs like a leaky faucet. And, you know, I'm the one with the communication problem. <laughs> and that's 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 the thing that just really it just really makes me nuts that people get to dispense information in drips and drabs and then I'm the one that can't communicate and it just really and it, it's one of those things that It makes it very, very difficult. And, uh, and of course, a part of you wants to melt down. There, there was a part of me that would love to have melted down at that particular moment. But, uh, you know, the meltdown didn't come, so I had to do something else. And the good news is, is I can't turn it on and off like a switch. The bad news is that I can't turn it on and off like a switch. And I have to... Yeah, I have to be able to say, okay, this is what it is that I have to deal with right now. And, you know, sometimes you just have to break things down into their component parts and use the fact that I am detail-oriented to my advantage and just break things down. Okay, I have to do this right now, and then I can move on to this and do that in that now. And then I can just, you know, roll on and roll on and roll on until the problem is solved. It's like I read once a story about a woman who was working in her garden and she was digging up this tiger lily root and it was this massive thing and couldn't 
figure it out to save her life. She was yanking it, pulling it, digging around it, trying to cut it up and stuff like that, and nothing was working. So what she did was she started untying it like it was a knot, and she started at the very be- at what was right in front of her, and she untied that, and then she went on to the next thing, and she untied that, and she went on to the next thing, and she untied that, and it started to come loose, and so she started to untie the next part and the next part and the next part, and it finally came, and it took her a couple of hours to get it out that way. But once it was out, it was like out, out. And she was able to fill it back in and start planting her flowers and be very happy. And yeah, that's sometimes what we have to do. It's like the only thing that we can do is just untie the knot that's right in front of me and untie the next one and the next one and the next one until everything is untied. It's like I saw it. I saw the movie Martian, The Martian, with Matt Damon in it. And at the end of the movie, you know, he talks about how it was that he managed to survive to get back to Earth. It was just a question of solving this problem and then the next problem and then the next problem and then the next problem. And if you solve enough problems, you get to go home. So it's breaking it down into its component parts. Okay, I know that I have to have this done by this time and that done by that time. And so I have to start with what's right in front of me, and I can do this batch and this batch and this batch and this batch and this batch, but I don't touch this batch and this batch because I know that they're coded differently and I don't have that yet. So, you know, I just work forward and go forward and just see what I could do just to do the next right thing. And if I can't do the next right thing, just try to do the next thing right. And, you know, just move on from there and problem solve until I come to the end of either the problem or the end of the day. And then I get to, you know, move on and do other stuff and enjoy other things and be outside and go be with friends and all that kind of good stuff. And then, of course, you know, I have a little saying on my desk is that there are better days coming. They're called race days. And I'm a big racing fan. So, of course, there's always a race somewhere that I'm watching. And last last night it was a race at Bristol. And that was a lot of fun to watch beating and banging and trading paint at the last great Coliseum. And... That way I get to enjoy that, and I know that I can have that and be grateful that I can have that and just be able to say, you know what, this is what makes life living. What I do at work, that's my job. That is the means with which I get to live my life, and then I get to come out and I get to do all the things that make life worth living. I get to come out and plan camping trips and plan vacations and talk to my family and talk to my friends and go bowling and do scrapbooking and all that kind of good stuff that I enjoy. You know, I don't have to do all of these things at work because this is not that's not what work is for. Work is a means to an end. That's all it is. Especially in this day and age. You know, people talk about how unsatisfied they are at their jobs and they realize, you know, how 
quote unquote essential they were. And now all of a sudden, you know, oh, I don't have to be there anymore. And I think it's a much different environment post COVID. You know, that's the silver lining to this really dark cloud that was COVID-19 is that people realized exactly how valuable they are as workers. And if they're not treated well, they have the right to walk away. Yeah, people are, are, are definitely speaking up. I mean, in my, in my situation, I, I, if, I, if, I, if I were to, knowing what I know now, you know, when she started yelling, when my manager started yelling at me or being condescending, bullying, um, harassing me on on Slack, and um, I I would have liked to have been more brave and and tell her like you can't talk to me that way, you can't you can't yell at me and call me slow when I'm trying to understand a process when we first started. When we first started, she was like, no, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. And at first, she seemed really understanding. At first, she seemed like, yeah, I'm that understanding manager. Far from it when when the reality of when that role needed to be done. Like, no, you weren't supportive. You weren't the manager. I came to you for questions. You ignored. You discarded me. You would say things like, oh, you should have. Yeah, that's what she would say. You should have known that. I'm like, yeah, I would just would have said like, um, you know, when she she presented when she she first presented mistakes like yeah they're gonna happen it's not a big deal we'll work through it not with me when I made a mistake it was the end of the world and as if I was costing the company millions of dollars and I believed her and I wish I I wish I would have been more brave and like you can't talk to me that way you can't talk you're you can't talk to me that way I'm trying to un- understand and then I would talk to. And let her know, like, I've been talking to the project manager and I've told them the, the mistakes that I'm making and they don't see it that way. They don't see that I'm costing the company. I wish I would have been, like, a little bit more for I'm talking, like, let her know, like, you know, I'm talking to other managers and I've told them, like, how you manage and they're really shocked. And it's like, you don't treat your employees that way because they don't treat their teams that way. How come you're doing that? I think I would have been a little bit more forward with her like I'm talking to other people and and it it's like I missed it I missed I I missed it because it's like I don't know maybe I don't give myself enough credit like I probably know more than what even if this was this was like a this was a brand new field it was totally different from accounting but I know how to talk talk to people and there was a technical aspect that in accounting there definitely was when I'm dealing when I'm dealing with like systems and how systems talk to each other. Like I have a high level understanding, and I was getting that high level understanding by talking di- directly. Like I talk directly, and I'm pretty firm and, and direct when when I'm trying to get understanding and I'm having a direct conversation with the CTO of all people, he's like the head, like, and I'm having like just a one-on-one conversation with Slack and my manager just butts in and like, Oh, you're not, you're not supposed to ask him those questions. And I'm like, like what? Like, how about just back off and let me have this conversation? Like, I wish I would have said that maybe not in that 
because I'm pretty firm like that, or maybe just a, like, I would like to have this conversation with Andrew. Thank you. But she wasn't yeah, like... Yeah, bravery is learned. Fear is instinctual. Oh, my God, yeah. I think it. I think it's harder to be brave because we're always taught to be fearful. We're always taught, you know, have respect for other people. Don't talk back. You know, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. And it's like... All of us, when we have to, we don't know what to do. We're not equipped. Mm-hmm. And I come to believe that bravery is learned. How has, you, since, since you have learned your diagnosis, how has autism helped you be more, more brave? Well, because... I have a better understanding of myself. That's the first thing that happened is that it gave me a better understanding of myself. And now that I have this understanding, I can present myself differently. And it allows me, you know, first to be more honest, you know, because when you don't have all the information, you can't be honest first with yourself and then with others. And when you get that honesty, and you want to do the next right thing, it gets a little easier because you can see it a little more clearly. At least Mm -hmm. I see it a little more clearly than I used to. And now that I have that, it becomes easier for me to negotiate, as it were, with the world around me because I have this self-awareness, I have this self-knowledge, And I can present that in a way that is both truthful and tactful, though I do have a lot of trouble with the tact from time to time. You know, there Mm. I try to be tactful and some people accuse me of being sideways. Yeah. Or or, or rude. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, okay, if you want me to be direct, here it is. (laughs) And, And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the late George Carlin once said, you know, people will admire your honesty until you're honest with them and then you're an asshole. <laughs> and, and he was right. You know? mm-hmm. and, uh, there was a lot of wisdom in that man. And he was absolutely right. People do admire you for certain things until those certain things turn back on them. And then all of a sudden it's not all that admirable anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to make that compensation. You got to kind of figure that out. You know, how how do you do this and go back to the what I was talking about earlier, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. And and I, sometimes I had to remind myself of that a lot because there are a lot of these people in the world that I would just love to strangle. You know. Mm-hmm. Starting with the people who have to insist on telling them who's taking what medications on what day for what reason. I'm like, I don't need that information. Go away. And so I have this knowledge and I'm able to work differently and I'm able to present myself differently. It's not so much masking anymore. It used to be. 
and you know they would talk about oh how she doesn't pay attention and sometimes she doesn't complete tasks and sometimes she's forgetful and sometimes she's this and sometimes she's that and it was like I bored easily you know mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I recognize about my autism is how easily I get bored mm-hmm. people bore me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I and now I can actually say that you know I'm bored you're boring me you know you know, be more interesting. You want me to be engaged, be more interesting. And, you know, it's like, and people are like, I didn't realize I was that. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And and it, they don't want to hear that either. I, I made the mistake of, of giving that feedback. I mean, I didn't know it was a mistake. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm treating one on, one-on-ones with my manager as a back, a back and forth. And at this point, like we, at this point, like we've all, like we're already recording. My one-on-ones were already re- recorded. Um, mm-hmm. We've already had our big blow up with with my manager. We already had our big meeting with with her, where I had I got to address her 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 bullying behavior and how she's been acting. And you know, she made the meeting about her, started crying, blah blah blah. And so you know, going going forward, this was at our next one of our next one on one on ones, and you know, I noticed like. With me, when it comes to re- to recordings, I need I need like um, facts. Like, try not to like de- deviate too much with the sidebar conversations when it comes comes to training. And that that's the feedback that I was trying to to give her, like build confidence. And and I told her like, do you think you could like work on your confidence when you're making these record? And she got so offended. She's like, <sighs> she's like, um. She's like, I don't think that's like fair, like like feedback. And then I said, like, oh well, maybe your manager could help you with that. And then, <laughs> and then she got super angry. <laughs> and it's all recorded. Yeah. This was all recorded. Yeah. You know. And what does that even mean? You know, I you need to work on your self confidence. What does that even mean? Well, that's what I told yeah, her. It sounds like uh, one of those catch-all phrases. That's what I told her because it just seemed like she didn't, she didn't, she wasn't confident when she was making the recording for 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 to be trained. Like I asked for a recording, and mm-hmm. and she's like, I don't know. She got like suddenly nervous, and she's like, and I was like, I don't understand why she's nervous, and I'm like, does she need like? confidence and so I told her that like maybe work on your confidence and she's like got super angry with me for even so that's when I knew that's when I knew like oh these one-on-ones are about you giving me feedback not the, not the other way around I'm like okay yeah, yeah it's not one-on-one it's one-on yeah <laughs> it's one on the yeah. air <laughs> yeah and no. then I asked another manager from that same job like what how are one-on-ones supposed to be one-sided because it's like I'm not allowed to give feedback she's like and then this other manager was like no one-on-ones is a back it's a back and forth like I need the feedback just as much as I'm giving feedback to my staff I'm like okay I guess it's just my manager then I don't know it was she 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 was a weird one that one and I would I would talk to my coworkers. my coworkers were fine I didn't have an issue with with my coworkers, they actually did a better job in explaining than than my manager did. 
like I was able to understand a lot better. And that was one of like that was one of my accommodations requests. Like, and that's part of my accommodations was having a training buddy. And I wanted one of my coworkers to be my training buddy because they explained it a lot better and I was able to understand. And um, my manager and her manager wouldn't allow me to have one of my coworkers as my buddy because according to my manager, it's like they're they're busy and their their cases, their workload was too full. And then I asked like, oh, is that what they said? Did they say that they're too busy? And she's like, well, I'm I'm the manager. And so, you know, I know what needs to be done and I know their workload. And so I'm like, so they didn't say that they're busy. Even though I talk even though I talked to them directly, I talked to them directly and then but they were saying like I'm happy to help. Yeah. It's it one of those things like when we were a child, do this cuz I said so. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, we're we're back basically in childhood. You're doing something cuz I said so. This is the way it is cuz I said that's the way it is. Mhm. Didn't make sense. Uh, uh, it didn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense, you know, and we're back to the blueprint and the world and mm-hmm. the blueprint and the world. And it's not matching up. It took me a while to even find a good online group for me. Cause there, I was on one online group where it was, it was primarily like geared for parents with young autistic children and and that dynamic I have no experience well yeah that's not where I was at like I was a newly diagnosed adult woman and I need to talk to other adult autistic women and and those who are queer too like autistic queer adult women or those who have women parts non-binary I like I just need to talk to yeah Another woman with women, women bits, women, women bought or not, not that's, I'm using the wrong word. Those who have breasts, a uterus and a cervix <laughs> who has autism. Yeah. That's what I meant exactly. to say. That's what I meant to yeah. say. Somebody so that I, I can identify with. Identif- I need to talk to somebody I can I, identify with. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt really like late to the party. And, you know, I would just I posted I posted on um, a women, a women's adult group that I'm uh, belong to or or those who have like breasts and a uterus adult people with those parts and I just posted like hey I feel late to the party I just got diagnosed and I feel like it's too I just felt the feelings of it's too late it's too late for me I, I got a diagnosis as a late adult yeah. And I posted and, and then like I got all these re- replies like, yeah, I got like, diagnosed late too. me too, me too. And just like it just really helped reading other people's experience that I'm not the only one who got a late, a later in life diagnosis or those who identified later in life um, autism. Cause I, I've, I've yeah. met, I've met online through my online group. Like there's also a lot of people who are self or self diagnosed and, um, just aren't in the position to get a formal uh, diagnosis. And I've learned like, mm-hmm. and I've learned like, if you do get a diagnosis later in life, it, um, you're, you're privileged to have been able to go get, get that, which I didn't, 
I didn't know. I guess I am lucky that I was able to have the resources to get those te- testing done because they're not they're not cheap. Um, mm. I had some savings that I I had that I was able to do it, and insurance that gave me some um, resources on how where how to get an evaluation. Mm. An evaluation. Um, I just mm-hmm. like in my case, in my case, just like the bullshit that I was dealing with at dealing with such a horrible manager that the diagnosis was needed to like look. I'm not lazy, people. Like I, I went to you for help. This is real. Hello, real. Here's my di- Here's my diagnosis. Here's my work com- accommodations. Yeah. This isn't about my manager making up a story or a narrative that I'm incapable or I'm low, low performing. It's like there was an issue going on and I got help. So if you want to continue being jerks about it, like that's on that's on you. And, you know, some things just can't be helped as much as we might want to. Mm -hmm. But. And all you can do is just present the facts and let the truth come out you know people can you know repeat lies as much as they want but that's not necessarily going to turn the lies into truth Mm -hmm. and all we can do is just take what we have and do the best we can with it and yeah it's going to be hard and there are people that are going to be stupid because they still have this preconceived notion that the only autistic people in the world are children who are going to be put in an institution with a helmet on their head and let them bang their head against the wall. And, you know, I found that on a lot of online groups, too. After mm-hmm. I got diagnosed that I was talking to a lot of parents, I wasn't talking to a lot of other people with autism that had that experience. I was talking a lot to parents. Parents are saying, how do I deal with my child? How do I deal with my child? How do I, I deal know. with my child? Yeah. And I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, my, one of the first questions I would ask is how old is the child? Yeah. How old is the child? Well, and I would get a lot of response. The child is 24. The child is 19. The child is 27 or whatever. And I would like, well, the first thing you have to realize is that your child is no longer a child. Your mm-hmm. child is legally an adult. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the next thing you're going to have to realize is that adults have rights, you know, regardless of what their disability is or what their challenge is or whatever you want to call it. Call it a can opener for all it matters. Mm-hmm. And the, chi- the child is not a child and the adult has rights. And if the adult doesn't want to engage with other adults, that adult does not have to engage with them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they were very unhappy with that. It was like they could be made to do something. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You could make them do something and they will resent you for it. And when the time comes, you will no longer be a part of their lives. And then they will ask, well, why is my child so distant? Why is my child so estranged from me? Well, because you treated your adult like an a ch- like they were a child. You don't I, control them. Yeah. And I read a lot of a lot of posts about the like the inf- infantizing in, infant infant 
infantizing of adult autistic adult autistics and it's like i'm not i'm not a kid any anymore um yeah how i don't know do you do you still get treated as a child (laughs) oh yeah absolutely i'm a grown-ass woman Absolutely. This over this one project, you know, this one woman who was treating me, who was also, I understand, supposed to be disabled in some way. I can't tell what her disability is. I don't need to know what her disability is. Mm -hmm. But she says it and she believes it. And uh, there are other people who do. So there must be some documentation somewhere of something, which is fine. But that does not give her the right to be abusive or to treat me like I'm some seven year old who didn't do her homework. Mm-hmm. How, and, how how did you na- how did you navigate that? Like how well, do you navigate when people are treating you like a child? Well, I discovered after my diagnosis that after I started to get angry after a while, I would just run out of steam, mm-hmm. and I would just get tired. And I realized, you know, anger is exhausting, mm. and so. One of the ways that I deal with other people's anger is that sometimes you just let them have to rant and rave until they run out of steam. Mm -hmm. And usually they get really tired and they don't want to contradict anything because they're just too tired. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to let people rant and rave. You know, you just look at your watch and like, okay, are you done? (laughs) Really? Are you sure you're done? Are you positive that you're done? Is that your final answer? Uh, humor works, too. As you can tell, I do try to find a positive note. I do try. That's not always easy, especially when you're dealing with, you know, somebody who is six feet tall and they're acting like everybody is their child. And I'm like, Okay, I'm not on board with that because, A, I'm not a child, and B, I'm probably older than you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I don't know exactly how old this woman is, and once again, I don't need to know how old this woman is. You know, there are just some things I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, I am an adult with my own experiences and my own education, and I don't need to be treated this way. And if you're going to treat me this way, you can find somebody else to abuse. And, you know, sometimes you just got to call it for what it is. Sometimes you just got to call abusive behavior, abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. And either they accept that or they don't. And you just have to, you know, move on as best you can. You know, people are going to do what they do because they are who they are. And there's nothing that... I can do to fix that. And frankly, I wouldn't even if I could, you know, because at some point you just got to say, you know what? This is not my problem. This is just not my problem. So you just look at what's in front of you and realize I look at it and I say, okay, this is mine and I can do this and this is not mine. So I have to leave it alone. And then I can just move forward. 
and hopefully, you know, come to some kind of a resolution, whatever that resolution might be. You know, it's harder in some situations than in others, but it can happen, you know, and frankly, sometimes it's just a question of biding your time. You know this person eventually is going to go away. Yeah, that's what, that, was, that was my brother was saying. He's like, he, he, he was, the advice that he was giving me was don't save these people. Like, don't save your manager. Just let them, yeah. let them fail. Like, let, let falling knives fall. Uh, he's like, because like, like, my brother would say, he's like, I've seen it. I've seen it time. Because he himself was like, you know, I used to catch the falling knife and like save and, that that got me in trouble and so and so my brother was telling me like just let them just let them fail just let them um don't catch falling knives the truth will be revealed you know like i i don't know i don't know what's what 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 it's going to take to and like the manager that i had in the last job there's so many of them there's so many of those yeah. types of managers she is she is not the only one that fucks over coworkers or fucks over their team and team members in such a way. And it's like, you know, there's only so many times where even my brother was telling me, it's like, what, like it might take, it might take so much turnover in her own team where even the upper managers can't ignore it. Where they're like, Hey, manager of said company, uh, this is like the 10th person that's left. What's going on? <laughs> You know, yeah. you know, and at some at some point, you know, you just got to get out of the way, you know, that's hard. Like what what helps you what what helps you to get out of the way? What helps me to get out of the way? And that's sometimes a tricky question like because being autistic. it's very easy. Like being autistic, like what helps you to get out of the way? When when I get out of the way is usually when. I see something that I know is not mine. And what helps me to get out of the way is to realize, you know, people, once again, people do what they do because they are who they are. This is not about me. Mm -hmm. 90% of it is not about me. Mm -hmm. And, or maybe even more. But, what that allows me to do is to get some distance between myself and what's going on. You know, sometimes the only way to deal with a speeding train is to jump off the track and just let the train derail mm. because you, you see where it's going. Sometimes you see the end and you know that it's bad. And yeah, the only thing you can say is, you know, this is bad. This is going to be bad. And I can either get out of the way or I can get caught up in the wreckage. And there are, there are days that sometimes the only thing you can do is just get out of the way and just let other people do what they do and let other people be who they are. And know that uh, if some people are given enough rope, they will eventually hang themselves. That's hard for me because I... You know, I am, I like, I, I am a professional. Like I, I, I know, 
I know how to do my accounting role. And the role that I had in this last job was completely, completely like new. So, uh, and however, however, there were some aspects of like, like I, not like I want to do, do it my way and go fuck yourself. It wasn't coming from that. It was like, like, can I, can I not have the ability you know, you, you've given me the training, you've given me the guidance. Can I do my style? And I wasn't even allowed to do my style because my style was a threat. My style w- was like something that w- that is costing the company millions of dollars. So it's like, it's like getting in the way, getting out of the way of that, of, of that is hard for me and like how my autism interacts with my professional work it's like this that's where the fight happens because it's like oh I can't even be myself in this job I can't even do my style so it's like getting out of the way getting out of the way in that work dynamic meant compromising my own authenticity compromising my own in integrity like that's what it would have meant to get out of the way in that dynamic to be smaller and and be under her and and um like yeah i mean like i i ran i ran that i ran the course of that job as long as it it took but that would have that what it would have meant to get out of the way Comprom- to compromise myself and I was already doing that all I've done that for years and that just did not work well with my autism um like it it would meant it would have meant like like to to really get out of the way um was them letting me letting me go it sucks because it's like you know, and talking to other um, autistic working professional in the online groups, it by reading their posts, it's like this person seems capable. Like I've never met these people like in in real life. You know, I've only met them online, and I only know them by their posts. But even like just reading their posts, it's like these people aren't stupid. They just have a way. They just have a style. It still works. It still gets the results. It may not be what what you have want them, but it's like it's still the same. It's still the same results. The method the methodology is different, but the results are the same. In my autistic brain, it's like if I'm getting the if your way is getting the same results and my way is getting the same results, what is your problem? Like that's that's where I get really angry yeah it's very frustrating i have no i have no doubt from my own experience that you're absolutely right it is very frustrating because you're not doing it their way it must be the wrong way yeah you can't possibly be doing it right because you even though you're getting to the end of the project just like they're getting to the end of the project because you're not doing it their way because i can't look at the first page of a 28 page document and determine what it is yeah just by the first page you know i must be doing it wrong 
Yeah. You know, it's got to be wrong. And, and it just can't be different. It just can't be. Because, you know, everybody's got to do that same thing over and over and over and over again. And everybody's got to be just like everybody else. It can't possibly be that people do things differently. It's like there's no two ways to do right thing, to do one right thing. So for those who don't know what autism masking is, masking, this is from Healthline, healthline healthline.com. What what is autism masking? Masking, which is also called masking or compensating, is a social survival strategy. How it looks will vary from person to person, but masking can include behaviors like forcing or faking eye contact during conversations, um, imitating smiles and other facial expressions, um, mimicking gestures, uh, hiding or minimizing personal interests, uh, developing a repertoire of rehearsed responses to questions, scripting conversations, pushing through intense sensory discomfort, including loud noises, um, disguising stimming behaviors, hiding a jiggling foot, or trading a preferred movement for one that's less obvious. People may mask autism for a variety of reasons, such as feeling safe and avoiding stigma, avoiding mistreatment or bullying, succeeding at work, attracting a romantic partner, making friends and other connections, fitting in or feeling a sense of belonging. So with me, I mean, getting diagnosed at 43 and um, coming to an understanding like, oh, how, how deeply ingrained my own masking is. Like I'm trying to um, uncover like, like was that masking like I know like I the masking wasn't working at work anymore the coping skills weren't working at work anymore so going through that process of getting evaluated getting the evaluation looking at the evaluation like okay these are the work accommodations where it's like oh you know masking isn't going to work anymore and so when I'm unmasking it's like the environment around me is getting angry like a manager who just doesn't get it or and um I don't know that's just my personal experience when it come it comes to masking where I'm reading this list and it's like was I you know the in the embeddedness of the masking is just so so deep it's like no wonder I'm tired all the time is this why I'm tired all the time you know, is this why I'm angry all the time? Is this what I thought? I thought I was, I thought this was just normal. I thought, I thought I was just, oh, this is life. And, um, just yeah, be tired exactly. all the time. <laughs> I'm just, exactly. Yeah. I'm tired all the time. Cause I'm angry all the time. I'm angry all the time because I had to disguise who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's just, ugh. and it's just like this endless cycle where the hamster gets on the wheel and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And runs. And I always wondered, does is that the way the hamster exhausts himself? Yeah. Or is it because the hamster doesn't know any better? Or is it both? 
I just want to, I wanted to scream at my manager like so many times. It's like, I'm autistic, you asshole. I'm not incapable. Yeah. Yeah, just because I'm autistic doesn't mean I'm stupid. Yeah. Stupid's a whole other animal. And it's not even the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, it's not even the same. same animal. I'm not stupid. It's like I'm comparing just autistic, a giraffe to a asshole. fish. It's like comparing a giraffe to a fish. Yeah, you know. Uh. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Oof. And at sometimes they just come to the conclusion that not only do they not get it, but they don't want it. Even if they got it, they wouldn't want it because it doesn't fit in their lexicon. It just doesn't fit. It's not a piece of the puzzle that they want to deal with. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. It's like, it's like, oh, you're making this about, about, that's a lot. That's, that was another thing that my past manager was doing, just ma- making it about her. Like, she is so mm-hmm. inconvenient. So, like, I'm the one with autism, you son of a bitch. I'm the one that yeah. needs to log exactly. off and deal with the world. Like, oh, suddenly you're so inconvenient. So it's like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. I'm the yeah. one with the autism, not you. The, you know, exactly. like, this was hard. This was hard. Like, how about how about you know trying to go through evaluations with a gaslighting manager at the same time? Like, how about that? How about mm. that? But no, exactly. How about that? <laughs> she was the one how that was about so, that. <laughs> she was the one that was so inconvenienced. Like, oh, the audacity. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of like getting out of the way, sometimes it's just like finding finding another job and that was like the advice that was like that's what other managers were telling me at this job that I had in my last job like other managers um had problems with the manager that I had and even they were saying like yeah we know she's a problem and you know sometimes you just got to find another job like that that's what another manager gave me the advice they gave me the advice of like just do the best that you can and start looking for another job. And so mm. it's like, okay, like that's okay. That's what I got to do. And I just started, yeah. I started, I started, yeah. I up, updated my resume and just started looking for another job. Yeah. Sometimes shut up and sit down advice is the only advice you get. Yeah. Yeah. And, like lay low, and just, keep your head low. That Like the advice that they were giving me, like keep your head low. I know she's a problem. We know. We know. <laughs> so it's and just start looking for another job. So, and yeah. then the past employees were even telling me, it's like, yeah, she's the type of person, like, if, you, if you're not getting it right away, she will think that you're stupid, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. I'm like, okay, fuck. Okay, this is what, yeah. this is who I'm dealing with. Start looking for another job. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just have to, you know, look at reality. It's like, okay. This isn't going to get any better. You're going to have to do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to make the decision, you know, is the fear of your future greater than the pain of your present? And that's that's what change is. Change always comes when the pain of your present is greater than the fear of your future. And like I said, fear is instinctual. Pain is instinctual. Bravery is learned. You know, 
and I had to realize, yes, I am a brave person, not because I'm not afraid, not because I'm not fearful, but because I come to a point in my life when my fear is not the motivating factor. When something else becomes the motivating factor, then change happens. Yeah. And it happened when I was first diagnosed and I realized this is not going to get any better. These people are not going to make accommodations for me. This is just not going to happen. And they've already made that decision and it's time to go. Yeah. You know, like it comes back to the idea of the universe kicking you out of something when it keeps telling you to get out. And then, you know, you come to another point where you're dealing with people that don't want to deal and they just want to be wrapped up in their own crap and they just don't want to do what they're supposed to be doing. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at some point you just got to walk away and say, okay, we can't do this anymore. And, you know, that happened at another job, too, where people they didn't want to be bothered to do the job that they were doing and they wanted to blame it on everything else. And I'm like, okay, then go do that because, you know, I'm not going to. And then, you know, you come to yet another place where all of a sudden everything is so much more important than the work that you're doing. It's like, you're looking around, it's like, why are they telling me these things? Why do I need to know who's taking what medication? Really? I need this information? <laughs> and I'm like, go away. Just go away. And being autistic sometimes does not help matters at all because you just really don't know what to do with some people. Some people are just that way. And then you have moments where you have this great amount of clarity because you see something for what it really is. And sometimes autism does that for me. Mm. I get to, you know, go beyond all of this window dressing, gaslighting stuff, and I get to see it for what it really is. And I'm like, yeah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> it's just, you know, you just come to the point, yeah, yeah not happening. Two words, not and happening. And you just... And you just can't do it. You come to the point where you just can't do it anymore. And you have to say, yeah, you're drama and headache. Go away. I can't tell if it's because I'm autistic or because I reached my 50s that I just don't have it in me for drama anymore. Mm -hmm. I just don't have it. Mm -hmm. And I just can't do it. Like I said, I don't know if it's because I'm old and tired or because, you know, the autism just doesn't let me do it. I don't know. And I don't need to know. I will even be glad to accept that it's both. But at some point, you just got to say, you know, you're drama and addict. Go away. Mm. And and uh, they can either accept 
that the work's going to get done. Because with me, the work will get done. I'm one of those people who will say, I will be with you in a minute, which means I plan to finish up what's in front of me in the next 60-second time frame, and then I will talk to you. Mm-hmm. And and it, they just don't get that because they see it as route. Like, I'm going to ignore you. I'm like, no, I'm not ignoring you. I'm finishing this, and then I will talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> because Some patience. It, exactly. They They don't understand how I prioritize things. They talk about, you know, how I'm not organized. I'm not, I'm perfectly organized. I know exactly what my priorities are. My priority is to do my work. And if you are not talking about work, I don't care what you have to say. Therefore, you can wait. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and uh, there, are, there are people that just want me to stop and talk about all kinds of stuff I'm like no that's not happening well if you want to get get our attention like like talk about work talk about the job exactly that that's what holds my attention if you want my attention if you want my attention first of all go away (laughs) yeah yeah come back later when I'm interested as second of all you know talk to me about what's going on in front of me because I don't want to deal with anything else Mm-hmm. And by the way, go away. <laughs> yeah, shut up and go away. And, you know, then I'll write your name down on a corner of a piece of scrap paper and I'll get back to you when, you know, when I need to. And that will be that. And I'm just not that person that sticks around and waits for other people to decide whether or not they're going to get it together. You know, that's one of the things that my autism has made me realize I am not that person. And I thought I was that person for the longest time. I thought I was the person that could sit around and wait for other people to decide whether or not they wanted to actually do what they were going to do or do what they were supposed to do or do what they said they were going to do or whatever. You know, I'm not that person. You're either going to do it or you aren't. And if you're not going to do it, that's fine. But don't come complaining to me when it doesn't get done. Oh, I was going to say, like, in, term, in, in terms of understanding a job or a new job or any, or any new job, like, I saw what was helping me in my last job. I found coworkers that were able to explain it in a way that I was able to, to understand. And they would have been exceptional buddies, and they themselves said that they were open to be it. But for some reason, like, my manager put a stop to that. And it was supported by her her manager. So it's like, but and then turned the story like I'm not performing. It's like, yeah, because you're giving me people that aren't helpful. They're, they're giving me people. They're matching me up with people like it's. So I did have a training buddy, and it was my it was my manager. I did not want my manager as a training buddy. Um she wasn't helpful. She yeah. wasn't useful. Yeah, that just sounds wrong. I need, like, I don't know. I mean, if this this could be logic or just my autism. It's like, it's like, like I I I want to do things that 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 work, not create create blocks. And I saw what was what was working in the helpfulness in the other standing, and I wasn't getting it from my manager. She was a horrible trainer. Uh, she didn't have. 
she did not have the the emotional intelligence to work with me and my coworkers did my coworkers did have that so it's like you know um like match people that 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 fit like i and i have that in my own like like when i was when i was doing comedy for like 10 years and and you know i felt like i was a better like a show a showrunner or a better booker than i was like a stand up comic and so i would see like a lineup of comedians and i would just know like yeah that guy would would be good that girl or that woman that man yeah yeah he fits she doesn't fit something's not fitting like no yes yeah that guy so i knew how to match like like themes to events to what what comedian would be good for here like i just have that that knowing like booking and casting the same with casting like i think i would be a, like a good casting director cuz like like i know what fits and it's just like a like a like a feeling it's like a feeling and a dynamic it's like yeah this fits yeah like you're doing we're doing it and i was doing it in my own workplace it's like yeah this coworker fits with me i want i want to be with him and like they're like yeah no <laughs> like okay this totally makes sense it is a matching game it's very much a matching game and a lot of people they don't understand what it means to have somebody who understands that's so and, essential and key in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who just don't understand. And moreover, they don't care. Not only do they not understand, they don't care. Yeah, that's and really sad as a manager to have that mindset. It is. It's very, it's very sad. But it's also reality, you know. I once had a manager tell me, you know, there's right and there's wrong and then there's reality. And a lot of that is very true that, you know, once again, we're back to the blueprints in the world and the blueprints in the world and the blueprints in the world. And it's just mm-hmm. not matching up. And it is sometimes very much the perception of what is reality and very much the perception of what is just us. And that you want things to be a certain way, but things aren't a certain way. Things are what they are. And then you have to be able to say, okay, I'll work with it. Or I can't work with it. I've got to move on to something else. And there's a lot of self-realization in there. you know. And a lot of people, they just don't have that. They don't have those tools. They don't have the diagnosis. They don't have the self-awareness. They don't have the support to say, this is not who I am. So they just get stuck. And in a very real sense, they are stuck. And Mm -hmm. once again, I've noticed that in a lot of the online groups, a lot of people sound stuck because they feel Mm -hmm. stuck. Yeah. Even when I talk to even when I manage to talk to somebody who is autistic instead of a parent or a sibling of somebody who is autistic and they don't know what to do. And 
I say, well, the first thing you can do is you're an adult and you get to make the decision about who it is that you talk to and who it is that you don't. You know, you get that right. You have to get that. And the way that I say it to other people, especially people who want to be dysfunctional and abusive because they think they're entitled to think. I say adult friendship is not a right. It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to be friends with these people at work. I don't want to be friends with a lot of these people at work. I don't want to deal with them outside of the work walls. If I had my way, you know, I wouldn't even deal with them inside of the work walls. But, you know, I don't make those decisions. I don't make the decisions about who gets hired and who doesn't. I just have to say, this is who I have to work with, and I don't have to deal with them outside of work. I don't have to like them. I just have to be able to get the job done. I don't get paid to like people. I don't get paid to be friendly with people. I don't get paid to know who takes what medication at what time <laughs> or who's got to go pee. You know, I don't get paid for that. Yeah. That's not in my job description. <laughs> you know, and I don't want it to be in my job description. And if somebody thinks it is in my job description, you know, it's time to be not there anymore. It's time to say, okay, we're not doing this. And this goes back to bravery being learned, where you have to be brave enough to say, this is not who I am. This is not what I signed up for. This is not in my job description. If this is what you're going to have me do, then I have to move on. Yeah. 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 And like I said, that's one of the silver linings of this really dark cloud that was COVID-19 or is COVID-19, depending on your point of view, mm-hmm. is that we learned what it means to be an essential worker. And I was that's how I was classified. I was classified as an essential worker. I was, worked on the side of the banking industry, and therefore I had to be at work. I couldn't not go to work. Mm-hmm. I wasn't given the option of unemployment or furlough or paid leave or whatever. I was given the option of work, quit, or get fired. Mm-hmm. Those were my options. And, you know, I would mask up and I would get the shot once it was available and I would get the boosters and I would do all that stuff. And I I, I was very much a vaxxer even from the beginning. I have my vaccine card from even when I was a child. I came in at the very end of the smallpox vaccination. Mm. So, you know, I am very much a very big believer in that. And I know what people think about, you know, vaccinations mm. causing autism and so on into the night. I'm like, yeah. And that was proven wrong. You get smallpox. That was, yeah. that was proven wrong. Forever and a day ago. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, call me when you get smallpox. <laughs> you know, call call me when you get shingles. Call me when you get, you know, I don't want to hear it, you know, because, you know, I'm just not on that page and I don't want to be on that page and I'm not going to be on that page. I'm just the person that's going to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my, what is mine and the rest of it I'm going to leave alone because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. and be able to say I don't have to do this because this is not 
part of what I'm supposed to be doing. This is not in my job description. This is not there. This is somewhere else. And I don't have to be that person. I don't have to be the person that takes on everything. I used to be that person. It was exhausting. And I don't want to be that person anymore. Because, you know, that person was always tired and always angry and had no idea of any self-identity. And, you know, that's one of the things about autism that's been good for me is that it helped me with my self-identity. It gave me a place to begin and to try to understand who I was and what I was and where I fit into the world. You know, going back to the blueprints mm-hmm. and realizing that even though what's in my head doesn't match what's in the world, I can still navigate the world based on the blueprints because I have an idea of where some things are. And if I run into something that's not there, I can always adjust. I can always make an adjustment and say, okay, I don't have to do that. I could do something else. I could try something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's been a great thing. Yeah. Awesome. We've covered so much. So I do want to, yeah. uh, uh, before we uh, conclude, um, do you want to give some tips, uh, autism at the workplace that worked for me? Um, it may, for those who are listening, it may or may not work for, for you, but this is what worked for me in navigating that, uh, toxic work sit, um, situation. I, um, um, I start in my, within my own company at, um, uh, during my employment, I did um, I did ask and started a uh, neurodivergent um, or or those with aut- employees with autism a private Slack channel that got approved by our company. Um, uh, our company called them auxiliary uh, auxiliary groups, and we had one for African American um, and. And when I was going through my difficulties, I wanted to connect with, to see if there were other autistic or neurodivergent employees. And so you could ask, um, just go to uh, go to HR, and, and if you are having uh, trouble at work with the interpersonal, the cognitive, see if see if you could connect with another employee who is also um, neurodivergent. Um, that's what, ha- that's what worked for, for me and just uh, maintaining my sanity at this, at this workplace to connect with another um, employee who might be on the spectrum and who might be neurodivergent. And I, and I was able, I was able to connect with other ally, um, ally in terms of, uh, they were able to help help me uh, navigate this 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 dynamic. I was able to connect with other neurodivergent and other per, um, employees with autism in um, at work. Um, another thing that I found helpful was going on LinkedIn and searching autism professional groups. There, I I found some. So if you go on LinkedIn, linkedin.com and search autism like professional, there might be some groups um, available that you could join. Um, 
whatever professional field that you are you're in, most professional fields have an association um, associated to the industry that you're in. Uh, reach out reach out to that association and see if any of their members are autistic. Um, I found it really useful to connect to another autistic professional within my industry so um, that I could talk to. Um, I, I live in the state of Oregon and we have the Autism um, Oregon Autism Society. Oh, let me get this straight. Hold on. Autism Society of Oregon. Autism Society of Oregon. So because I live in the state of Oregon, we have we have that. They're, they're a, res, a resource. Um, and when I went, when I got my evaluation, one of the recommendations was connect, connect to other autis, um, autistics. So I'm, I'm on a couple of online, um, I'm on a couple of online groups. Uh, face, Facebook has them. Maybe Discord has them. I, I, I communicate a lot better through the online groups than if I was talking to someone in person. Um, and so uh, there's the platform does give you that accessibility where, you know, you just need to post and comment and engage in, in that, in that way. Um, so those were, those were the things that helped me and I'm, and I'm still finding some support. Um, oh, also for anyone who is currently currently dealing in an abusive, toxic work situation, whether with your manager or coworkers of the whole company or all of the above, what helped me in my last job was, um, so I was in a situation where HR wasn't helpful, our diversity, equity, inclusion, um, um, our diversity, equity, and inclusion department wasn't helpful. HR wasn't helpful. Uh, um, upper management wasn't helpful. So, um, if you're in that situation, what really helped me was seeking support out outside. Um, if legal recourse is the thing that needs to happen, you have that right to speak to a lawyer. But in my case, what helped me was I was um, I'm very involved in my 12 step recovery. Um, so talking to other people in recovery of being affected by the family disease of al alcoholism, um, though, you know, drink, drinking wasn't my thing. It was the emotional aspect. And this toxic work environment was really costing my serenity, my recovery. So leaning on my recovery community really helped me during this, this aspect. And I was just blessed that I had some recovery friends who were in my same field who had experience with um, development improvement plans and navigating the subtext, the subtext of what it really means to be in a, in a, in a development improvement plan. And I was just really, also I was really lucky to have a brother that was, that is well-versed in these types of dy dynamics. So if you have a friend that, uh, have a friend or know someone who knows the subtext when it comes to toxic work environment dy dynamics, those are really good people to talk to. They could really help you out with 
um, understanding and reading reading between the lines because I really needed help. I really needed help understanding the subtext and reading between the lines and um, interpreting their words. Um, so that those are the things that really helped me. Uh, thank you, Teresa, for being on the podcast and sharing your experience and story and, and what helped you as a perf- um, autistic working professional. Yeah. Thank you, Veronica. I was very glad to do this today. All right. Okay. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.